and today we are reading the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chapter 17, What Happened About the Statues. I hope you enjoy! Chapter 16, What Happened About the Statues. What an extraordinary place, cried Lucy. And all of these stone animals, and people too. It's like, it's like a museum. Shh, said Susan. It's Lance doing something. He was indeed. He had bounded up to the stone lion and breathed on him. Then, without waiting a moment, he whisked, whisked around, almost as he had been a cat ch- chasing his tail, and breathed also on the stone dwarf, which, as you remember, was standing a few feet from the lion with his back on it. Then he pounced on a small, tall stone dryad with was stood beyond the door, turned rapidly at side to deal with a stone rabbit on his right, and rushed on to two centers. But that moment but at that moment Lucy said, Oh Susan, look, look at the lion. I expect you've seen someone put on a lighted match to a bit of a newspaper which is propped up in a gate against an unlit fire. And for a second nothing seems to have happened. And then you notice a tiny streak of flame creeping along the edge of the newspaper. It was like that now. For a second, after a slant had breathed upon him, the stone lion just looked just the same. Then a tiny streak of gold began to run along his white marble back. Then it spread. Then the color seemed to lick all over him as the flame licks all over a bit of paper. Then, while his hindquarters were still obviously stone, the lion shook his mane and all heavy stone folds rippled into living hair. Then he opened a great red mouth, warm and living, and gave a prodigious yawn. And now his hind legs had come to life. He had lifted one of them and scratched himself. Then, having caught sight of a lamb, he went bounding after him and frisking around him, whimpering with delight and jumping up to lick his face. Of course, the children's eyes turned to follow the lion, but the sight they saw was so wonderful that they soon forgot about him. Everywhere, the statues were coming to life. The courtyard looked no longer like a museum, but looked more like a zoo. Creatures were running after Slan and dancing with him until he was almost hidden from the crowd. Instead of all that deadly white, the courtyard was now a blaze of colors. Glossy chestnut sides of centaurs, indigo horns of unicorns, dazzling plumage of birds, ready brown of foxes, dogs, setters, yellow stalks and crimson hoods of dwarves, the birch girls in silver, and the beach girls in fresh, transparent green, and the large girls in green so bright it was almost yellow. Instead of deadly silence, the whole place rang with the sounds of happy roarings, brayings, yelpings, barking, squealings, cooings, neighing, stamping, shouts, hurrah, songs, and laughter. Oh, said Susan in a different tone. Look! I wonder, I mean, is it safe? Lucy looked and saw this land had just breathed on the feet of a stone giant. It's all right, shouted a slant joy, joyously. Once the feet are put right, the rest of him will follow. That wasn't exactly what I meant, whispered Susan to Lucy. 
but even it was too late to do anything about it. Now, even if Aslana would have listened to her. The change was already creeping up the giant's legs. He was now he was moving his feet. A moment later he lifted he lifted the club off his shoulder, rubbed his eyes, and said, Bless me. I have been, must have been asleep. Now, where's that dreaded little witch that was running about on the ground? Somewhere just by my feet it was. But when everyone had shouted up to him to explain what really happened, when the giant put his hand to his ear and then Gotham repeated it all again until at last he understood. Then he bowed down until his head was no further off the top of a haystack and touched his cap repeatedly to Slan, beaming all over his honest, ugly face. Giants of any sort are now so rare in England that so few giants are good-tempered that ten to one you will never see a giant when his face is beaming. Well, it's a sight well worth looking at. Now, for everyone inside of this house, said Aslan, look alive, everyone. Upstairs and downstairs and in my lady's chamber. Leave no corner unsearched. You'll know where some poor prisoners may be concealed. And into, and into the interior they all rushed in, sev- in several minutes. And for several minutes, the whole of that dark, horrible, fussy old castle echoed with the opening of win- windows and with everyone's voices crying out at once don't forget the dungeons give us a hand with the door here's another little winding stair oh i say here's a poor kangaroo call the slan phew how it smells in here look at the look for the trap doors up here there are a whole lot of more on the landing up here but best of all was when lucy came upstairs running out a slan a slan i found mr tumnus oh do come quick a moment later, Lucy and the little fawn were holding each other with both hands and dancing around and around for joy. The little chap was none of the of the worse of having the statue and was very interest of course very interested in all she had to tell them. And at last, the la- ransacking of the witch's fortress has ended. The whole castle stood empty with every door and window open, and the light and the sweet spring air flooding into all the dark and evil places that needed them very badly. The whole crowd of liberated statues surged back to the courtyard, and then someone first said, But how are we going to get out? For a slan had gotten by a jump and the gates were still locked. That would be alright, said a slan. Then, rising up his hind legs, he bawled up at the giant. Hey, you up there, he roared. What's your name? Giant, r- giant Rimblebuffin, if it is please, your honor, said the giant once more touching his cap. Well then, giant Rimblebuffin, said Slan, just let us out of this, will you? Certainly, your honor, it will be such a pleasure, pleasure, said giant Rimblebuffin. Send well away from the gates, all you little uns. Then he strode to the gate himself and bang, bang, bang went his huge club. The gates creaked at the first blow, cracked at the second, and shivered at the third. Then he tackled the tower on each side of them, and for a few minutes, crashing and thudding, both the towers were a bit were and a good bit of the wall were each on on each side went thundering down in a mass of hopeless rubble. 
Then, when the dust cleared, it was odd, standing in, in that dry, grim, stony yard to see through the cap, gap all the grass and waving trees and sparkling streams of the forest and the blue hills beyond that and beyond them the sky. Blowed if I ain't in a muck sweat, said the giant, puffing like the largest railway engine. Comes of being out of condition. I suppose neither of you young ladies have such thing as a pocket handkerchief about you. Yes, I have, said Lucy, standing on his tiptoes and holding her handkerchief up as far as she could reach. Thank you, Missy, said Giant Rimbuffin, swooping down. Next moment, Lucy got rather afraid, for she found herself caught up in midair between the giant's finger and thumb. For she found herself caught up in midair between the giant's finger and thumb. But just as she was getting near his face, he, he started, suddenly started, and then he, she put her gently back on the ground, muttering, Bless me, I picked up the little girl instead. I beg your pardon, Missy. I thought you was a handkerchief. No, no, said Lucy, laughing. Here it is. This time he managed to get it. But it was only about the same size as him that a saccharine tablet would be to you. And so that she saw him solemnly rubbing it to and fro across his great red face. She said, I'm not afraid. I'm afraid it's not much use to you, Mr. Rumblebuffin. Not at all, not at all, said the giant politely. Never meant a ni- nice handkerchief. So fine, so handy. So I, I don't know how to describe it. What a nice giant he is, said Lucy to Mr. Tumnus. Oh, yes, replied the fawn. All the buffins are, always were. One of the most respective of all the giant families in Narnia. Not very clever, perhaps. I never knew a giant that was, but an old family. With traditions, you know. He, if he had seen the other sort, she would have, she never would have turned him into stone. At this point, a slam clapped his paws together and called for silence. Our day's work is not over, he said. And if the witch is finally to be defeated before bedtime, we must find the battle at once. And I join in, I hope, sir, added the largest of centaurs. Of course, said Aslan. And now, those who can't keep up, that is, children, dwarves, and small animals, must ride the backs of those who can, that is, lions, centaurs, unicorns, horses, and giants, must come in the front of us lions to smell out where the battle is. Look lively and sort yourselves. And with a great deal of bustle and cheering, they did. The most pleased of the lot were the other lions who kept, the other lion who kept running about everywhere, pretending to be very busy. But really, in order to say it to everyone we met, did you hear what he said? Us lions. That makes them you, him, and me. Us lions. That's what I like about lions. No side, no standoffness. Us lions. That meant him and me. At least he went on saying this until a slant loaded him up with three doors, one dryad, two rabbits, and a hedgehog. That steadied him a bit. When all were ready, it was a big sheepdog who actually helped us land in most of getting them sorted into their proper order. They set out through the gap in the castle wall. At first, the lions and dogs went in nosing about in all, about all directions. 
but when suddenly one great hound picked up the scent and gave a bay. There is no time lost after that. Soon, all the dogs and lions and wolves and other hunting animals were going at full speed with their noses at the grounds, and all the others streaked about for half a mile behind them and falling as fast as they can. The noise was like an English fox hunt, only better because every now and then the music of the hounds was mixed with the roar of the other line and sometimes the deeper and more awful roar than Slan himself. Faster and faster they went until the scent became easier and easier to follow. And then, just as they came to the last curve in the narrow, winding valley, Lucy heard, above all, uh, what these noises above another noise. A different one, which gave her a queer feeling inside. It was a noise of shouts and shrieks and the clashing against metal against metal. And they came out of a more narrow battle, ba- valley and she saw the reason. There stood Peter and Edmund and all the, the rest of the Slant army fighting desperately against crowds of horrible creatures. Whom she'd see last night. Only now in the daylight, they even looked even stranger and more evil and more deformed. There seemed far more of them. Peter's army had their backs to her, looked terribly few. But there were statues dotted all over the battlefield. So apparently the witch had been using her wand. But she did not seem to be using it now. She was fighting with her stone knife. It was Peter who she was fighting. Both of them going so hard that Lucy could hardly make out what was happening. She could only see the stone knife and Peter's swords flashing so quickly. They looked like three knives and three swords. The pair were in the center. On, on each side, the line stretched out. Horrible things were happening wherever she looked. Off my back, children, shouted Eslan, and they both tumbled off. When, with a roar that shook all of Narnia from the western lamppost to the shores of the eastern sea, they saw a great beast flung himself upon the white witch. Lucy saw her face lifted towards them for one second with an expression of terror and amazement. Then, Aslan and the witch rolled over together, but with the witch underneath. At the same moment, result, with the warlike creatures whom Aslan had led from the witch's house rushed madly on the enemy lines. Dwarves with their battle axes, dogs with teeth, and giant with his club. And his feet also crushed dozens of the foe. The unicorns with their horns, the centaurs with their swords and hooves, and and Peter's tired army cheered, and when the new and the newcomers roared, and the enemy squealed and gibbered until the wood re-echoed with the din of that onset. And that is the end of chapter sixteen. The next chapter, which is the final chapter, called "The Hunting of the White Stag." Bye.